0: Feel like a stranger around here. Been uh, out of the out of the saddle for the last couple of weeks. Thanks to Jeff and Nick for filling in for me while I was gone. Please take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 19. As we continue our journey through the book of Genesis, and uh, we're at a very very important passage today, starting in verse one of 19. It's a little bit longer, but uh, to understand the whole passage, we need to read quite a bit here to understand what's going on. So here we go. Again, I encourage you to grab your Bible. You can follow along on the screen. As Moses continues the account of first things, he writes in verse 1, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, Do to them as you please, only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they were, that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. And as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. It is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that it will not overthrow the city of which you've spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire for the Lord out of heaven. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute. And again, I was very early in my ministry and I remember uh, there's, you know, s- hundreds of pastors in this uh, great sanctuary at Moody Bible College, downtown Chicago and, and uh, some great speakers are there and, uh, and sure enough uh, there's special musical uh, events going on and this one guy gets up and uh, he comes out with a ginormous harp and uh I don't know if you recognize, but I'm a drummer, and I'm not really into the harp. I'm not a harp guy, you know, kind of thing. And uh, this guy uh, starts playing the harp, and I'm kind of like, okay, what's this? And how long will this go on? And I'm kind of, you know, is this going to be over? And the next thing I knew, I'm just like, man, this is awesome. This guy can really play. And as a new pastor, I didn't realize I was carrying a lot of burdens for my ministry, and I just felt like, oh my, this is, this is wonderful. And all of a sudden, my heart was being soothed, and I was reminded of how David used to play for Saul and how it soothed Saul's heart, right? And then Joe Stoll came out, the president of Moody Bible, and introduced the harpist and told his story. And i have got a synopsis of this harpist that I want to share with you that's pertinent to our discussion today. The harpist's name is Greg Buchanan. Perhaps you've heard of him. Naturally gifted to play the harp, he excelled and progressed quickly. As a young man, he spent four years in the United States Navy Band, stationed in Washington, D.C. Following his military service, Greg entered the Southern California music scene, where he experienced the glamour of professional success. His personal life, however, was a dark paradox. At the age of 13, Greg had been introduced to alcohol. This addiction was now in full control and thrust Greg's life into the downward spiral of alcoholism, drug abuse, and homosexuality. He dabbled in the occult and found himself in and out of mental hospitals and jails. In the fall of 1981, Greg left the music scene and entered college, determined to reconstruct the fibers of his life that had so quickly unraveled. It was during this time a friend invited Greg off the streets of Hollywood to a Christian concert. Jesus Christ entered Greg's heart that night and the Holy Spirit began the process of repairing and healing the broken man who is so desperately searching for a new beginning. And Greg readily gives God credit for everything he has today and for bringing him from the depths of a worldly living of the, to a triumphant life he now lives. Part of God's provision in Greg's life was blessing him with a wonderful wife, Becky, who is a former lesbian. Married 30 years now, actually 35 years now at this telling, and blessed with the three children who are all married. And they now are enjoying life as grandparents. For Greg Buchanan, decision was made. It was a matter of life and death. Where he was going, it was gonna be tragic. It was gonna be destruction. And through someone simply inviting him to a concert made all the difference. In recent weeks, I've had the sad experience of witnessing some incredibly tragic decisions that people have made regarding their determination to be hurtful and rebellious. In each scenario, blatant miscalculations were made, not realizing that they were making cavalier life and death decisions. This is often the case when we all wrestle with our own inclinations to rebel against God. We make huge miscalculations, not understanding or respecting the enormous expense that our sin and rebellion against God will cost us and those around us. We underestimate the cost of our sin while we overestimate what we think we'll gain for ourselves in our rebellion. We underestimate who and what our sin will affect negatively and we overestimate how smart we think we are in trying to pull it off. In the process, we minimize God and we glorify self when the opposite is what should be true. And in every case, our sin will always cost us more than any of us can ever pay. For some, they think that they're too far gone and therefore they believe that they are unredeemable. So what does it matter if we sin a little or a lot more? They see themselves as a lost cause, which goes against everything that the scriptures teach. The whole point of the gospel message is that Jesus came to redeem the unredeemable. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Perhaps you're one of them. And he came for the sick and rebellious to bring them restoration, forgiveness, and a new life. For others, they're just blind to the incredible swath of destruction they're leaving behind in the rebellion. Some are blind to it and some just don't care. Because they don't know Christ, they have no clue that they are really just a bull in a china shop wreaking pain, havoc, chaos in the wake of their own destruction. Of course, all of this can be different, and Jesus is the only way out. The only solution is Christ and Him crucified for us. Through placing our faith in His sacrifice for us, we can finally be freed from sin, and we can finally walk in the real freedom of His righteousness. He has paid it all for each one of us, once and for all, and we all desperately need him right even in this moment. With Christ in us through faith, he gives us all the grace we need to help, to help us faithfully walk in righteousness. And as we'll see in our study today, there are so many around us who just don't realize what is at stake for them with regard to the moral decisions that they are making apart from God. How we respond to God really is a matter of life and death. As God is in the process of saving us from the destructive power of sin through our faith in Christ, we need to do all that we can to help others know that he ultimately is our rescue. We've gone back to the beginning in our series, the book of Genesis, and today our focus is the fact that God is indeed our rescue if we'd only turn to him and trust him. Since chapter 13 of Genesis, we've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah in our study. And it seems that every time we hear about these two cities from God's word, the two cities are cast into negative light, especially Sodom. Genesis 13.13 13 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Genesis 18.20 in the chapter preceding the one we just read. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Now here in chapter 19, we're told specifically about the actual sin and wickedness of the men of Sodom. Again, we're told that now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord, and we're also told their sin is very grave. So we asked, what is this great evil and heinous sin that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah are involved in? The clear answer from this text and throughout the rest of scripture is the sin of homosexuality. God's word is so very clear about the sin of homosexuality. Genesis 19.5, it says, And they called to Lot. That was a passage we just read. Remember, they're calling, these men from the city are calling to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And we kind of go, well, what do you mean by know them? Well, in the Hebrew, the word is yada. I think you even have it on the screen up there, don't I? Yeah, I do. Just so you know what, what word it is. It's the word yada, that is, we wanna have sexual relations with these men. The word yada in Hebrew, it's Hebrew euphemism for sexual intercourse, literally to know a person intimately. By the way, this happens to be the same word that's used in Genesis 4:1, where it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, right? Adam knew, that is yada, his, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Lot knew that the request of the men was evil. In 19.7, it says, And Lot said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. The word wickedly here is the Hebrew word ra'ah. And you go, so what? Well, that's the strongest word you could possibly use here for sin and rebellion. Ra'ah. Genesis 19.8, Lot says, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Again, the word know them is yada. Leviticus 18.22, Scripture makes it very clear. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That's God's assessment on it. Leviticus 20.13, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Paul adds New Testamentally in Romans 1.26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge, God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Throughout scripture, we see it everywhere. Homosexuality is a sin. It just is. And you go, well, why? Why is it a sin? Well, let me suggest to you that ultimately the sin of homosexuality is a sin against God in at least three ways. I'd write these down because you're going to need them in our culture. Number one, by the way, I haven't even started the message yet. So this is all introductory matter. But it's really important, okay? It's really important here. Here's the first way the sin of homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin against the beauty of God's created design for sex and marriage between one man and one woman. That's how he created things. To abuse his design is to impeach God's ability and intent to provide for us through what he has made and through how he has made us. So we're basically saying, God, we don't like how you made things. We're going to do it our own way. That's to impeach his creative ability. Secondly, homosexuality is a sin against God's decrees. I just read to you the decrees. You shall not do this, it says. It is clearly against his law, God's law, that he's made very clear to us. Thou shalt not do this. Thirdly, and most importantly, don't miss this one. Homosexuality is a sin against God's character. How so? It's God who says that homosexuality is an abomination and a great evil. To say otherwise about it is to impeach God's character and his assessment as to what it is. If God says it's an abomination, we go, no, we don't think so. We're now saying, well, we don't think you've got it right. We're impeaching his character. How dare we? This is what's at stake for us, scripturally, regarding this issue. Now, in saying that, we need to be careful. We also need to understand that to violate any portion of God's design, decree or character is to be found in sin, whether it's homosexuality or anything. God says that homosexuality is an abomination and a great evil, yes. But to break a portion of God's law is to break the whole of God's law, any portion of it. Therefore, all of us in this room are in trouble. All of us are in trouble before an infinitely holy, righteous, and just God based on our own rebellion. And Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Listen close. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who are unrighteous don't get in. Really? I'm like, well, I'm in trouble. Do not be deceived. He says, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You read that list, like, I'm out. But he goes on to say in verse 11, and such were some of you. Oh, praise God. Such were some of us. But you were washed, you were sanctified. That is, you were set apart as holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Everybody else, everybody in this room's got a story. Everybody has stuff that we don't want to talk about. All of us have a laundry list of things that we don't want to put on display with our own failures, either through our actions, through our words, or even in our thoughts. We're all in trouble. And such were some of us, but we've been redeemed. Why? Why? because of Christ and his righteousness and what he can do. This morning, I want to share with you three spiritual truths to help us find victory over the destructive power of sin, sin in general, and including the sin of homosexuality. But before we study, we need to ask his help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we have a lot to deal with today, and it's an incredible passage. Help us not to miss anything for us. Lord, we long to hear from you. We want you to be our teacher, our guide from your word. More than anything else, teach us, we pray. We pray this is your son's awesome, wonderful name. Amen. All right, if you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. There's three of them, and they're going to come pretty fast. So here they are, first one. We need to protect others from the destructive power of sin as best we can. By the way, I was talking to someone this morning, there are some people who are just determined to destroy themselves, and you can try to warn them, try to tell them, and they're still going to go do what they're going to do. But as far as it depends on us, we should do all that we can to help, to help preserve, to protect others from the destructive power of sin. First of all here, by urgently pleading with others to seek shelter from sin. That's what the angels came to do with, with Lot, right? Verse one, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth, bringing great homage to these strangers who were visiting. And he said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. He said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. You know, what's going on here? Lot knows what's going on. He's like, you know, you guys shouldn't be staying in the town square here. You really need to stay with me because it's not going to go well for you. <clears throat> And it's no, no. It's okay. We'll stay out here in the square. We're good. But Lot pressed them strongly. Verse three. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. And again, we're seeing this beautiful hospitality here. What an ultimate irony, though. Here is the <laughs> we have the angels who've come to protect Lot, and yet Lot believes that he's protecting them. Right? If there's anything righteous about Lot, this is about it. Remember, it was Abraham who called Lot righteous by implication. And we ask, on what basis is Lot righteous at all? At the very least, even though he lived in Sodom, he knew that the Sodomites were in sin. Peter references this in 2 Peter 2.7. Peter commends Lot as righteous. He says, and if he rescued righteous Lot, that is, if God rescued righteous Lot, calling him righteous, greatly distressed by the central conduct of the wicked, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. In other words, here Lot sees himself as his brother's keeper, as these these guests come to this community that's bent on rebellion. And Lot goes out and says, hey, you guys should really stay with me here because it's not going to go well for you if you stay in the town square. We need to urgently plead with others to seek shelter from sin. But secondly, by shutting sin out of our household, this is a huge concept. Ladies and gentlemen, we're, la- we're letting way too much stuff into our household. And you know how it's getting in there. It's this thing called the internet. It's this thing called Netflix. It's this thing, I mean, it's piped in and people are paying for services to watch all kinds of crud. Uh, I, I'm, I will wager large sums of money. I'm not a gambling man, but I, I wouldn't doubt it that many of you have entertained things that you would have never watched except for now it's piped into your house. You would have never watched it before, but now it's in your house and with a click and you pay the seven bucks or whatever and nobody's gonna know what you're watching, what you're entertaining. Man, keep it out of your house. Keep it out of your house by shutting sin out of your household. Look at verse four. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, the last man surrounded the house. And they called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Again, we talked about what that meant. Lot went out to the men at the entrance shut the door after him. He's like, "I'm, I'm keeping whatever this is out of the house. Okay, brilliant. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. And I ask you, are you allowing sin and rebellion into your own household? Close the door. Maybe some of those services need to go. Maybe there needs to be some settings you need to put on there and you forget what the password is so you never go find it and look it back up again. Shut sin out of your household. Thirdly here, by overcoming evil with good. Now, what I'm going to show here in this passage is that Lot's gonna determine, he's gonna to try to overcome evil by doing something evil. But we need to overcome evil with that, which is good. So that's a contrasting statement here. Behold, he goes to verse eight, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do them as you please. I'm like, this, is a, this guy's horrible. <clears throat> I'll do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Well, what about your daughters? <laughs> What's with you, man? This is where Lot really loses it in my mind. Here, Lot does not overcome evil with good. He only introduces more evil by offering his daughters to these wicked men. Two wrongs will never make things right. Here, Lot offers his daughters as a substitute for the men. We also find out how bent these men are as they reject the daughters and keep demanding the men. These guys are really messed up. Romans 12:21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You want to do something crazy? I triple dog dare you to do the right thing in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the, st- the temptation. Choose what's right and watch God do awesome things. Luke six twenty seven. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. We should be loving people in the midst of their rebellion around us, not accommodating it or helping them to be more rebellious and heinous. 1 Peter 3, 8. Peter adds, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for, those, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We need to be in the prospect of blessing people, not adding more harm to additional harm. This is, this is horrible. I take my daughters. What are you thinking? But fourthly here, we can overcome these things as we protect others from the destructive power of sin by suffering abuse for doing what's right. And that's exactly what's going to happen. A lot of these men are going to decide to do what's right, but they're going to be abused for it. They said, stand back, verse 9. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become a judge. Now we will feel worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. Isn't this what our culture is dealing with us right now? This cancel culture thing. We stand up for what's right and what's good and you get smacked down. Oh, who are you to judge? Who do you think you are? It's exactly what's happening right now. When you stand up for what is right, wicked people will likely take it personally. You think you are judging us? By the way, you need to be aware of this too. I came across this article several years ago and it's, it's, it's too huge not to let you have it. It's written by a gal by the name of Jane Ward who is a homosexual herself. And this is her article, you can find it online if you want the website, I'll send it to you. I, I didn't insert words here. This is a homosexual's perspective on the issue, the title, No One is Born Gay. That's what she's saying. Why? Because she knows what's true. What does she say about it? Just because an argument is politically strategic does not make it true, she writes. Oh, my gosh. You mean we've been duped? A couple of years ago, the Human Rights Campaign, arguably the country's most powerful lesbian and gay organization, responded to... Politician Herman Cain's assertion that being gay is a choice. They asked their members to tell Herman Cain to get with the Times. Being gay is not a choice. They reasoned that Cain's remarks were dangerous. Why? Because implying that homosexuality is a choice gives unwarranted credence to roundly disproven practices such as conversion or reparative therapy. Uh, The risks associated with attempts to consciously change one's sexual orientation include depression, anxiety, and self-destructive behavior. The problem with such statements is that they infuse biological accounts with an obligatory and nearly coercive force suggesting that anyone who describes homosexual desire as a choice or social construction is playing into the hands of the enemy. Now, she writes, yes, it's true that straight people are more tolerant when they believe that lesbian and gay people have no choice in the matter, If homosexual desire is hardwired, then we cannot change it. We must live with this condition, and it would be unfair to judge us for that which we cannot change. By implication, if we could choose, uh, of course, we would choose to be heterosexual. Any sane person would choose heterosexuality. And when homophobic people come to the opposite conclusion that homosexual desire is something we can choose, then they want to help us make the right choice, the heterosexual choice. In light of all this, I can absolutely understand why it feels much safer for us as homosexuals to believe that we are born this way and then to circulate the idea like our lives depend on it. But the fact that the born this way hypothesis has resulted in greater political returns for gay and lesbian people doesn't have anything to do with whether it is true. Maybe as gay people, we want to get together and pretend it is true because it's politically strategic. That would be interesting, but still, it wouldn't make the idea true. Secondly, the science is wrong. People like to cite the overwhelming scientific evidence that sexual orientation is biological in nature, but show me a study that claims to have proven this, and I'll show you flawed research design. Thirdly, science is wrong, part two. An even greater problem with the science of sexual orientation is that it seeks to find the genetic causes of gayness as if we all agree about what gayness is. To say that being gay is genetic is to engage in science that hinges on a very historically recent and especially European-American understanding of what it means to be gay. So that's no good. Fourthly, just because you have had homosexual or heterosexual feelings for as long as you can remember does not mean you were born a homosexual or heterosexual. There are many things I have felt or done for such a long, Time I can remember. I've always liked to argue. I've always loved drawing feet and shoes. I've always craved cheddar cheese. I've always felt a strong connection with happy, trashy pop music. These have been aspects of myself for as long as I can remember, and each represents a very strong impulse in me. But was I born with a desire to eat cheddar cheese or make drawings of feet? Fifthly, secretly, you already know that people's sexual desire are shaped by their social and cultural context. We already know this. Again, this is written from a homosexual perspective. Lots of adults worry that if we allow little boys to wear princess dresses and paint their nails with polish, they might later be more inclined to be gay. Even some liberal parents, including gay and lesbian parents, worry that if they introduce their children to too much in the way of queer material, this could be a way of uh, pushing homosexuality on them. Similarly, many people worry that if young women are introduced to feminism in college and if they become too angry or independent, they may just decide to be lesbians. But if we really believe that sexual orientation was congenital or present at birth, then no one would ever worry that social influences could have an effect on our sexual orientation. But I think that in reality, we all know that sexual desire is deeply uh, deeply subject to social, cultural, and historical forces. Uh, Again, you can check out the article yourself. In other words, for most homosexuals, they don't wanna be pigeonholed with the idea that uh, I was born this way and I'm forced to be this way. In other words, they want to independently be able to say, I've made my choice. Now, we'll use that argument to further our political agenda to make you all feel bad, but we know it's not true, and we know it's not true either. Interesting thoughts. Matthew 5.10 says this. As you stand up to these things, beloved, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Secondly this morning, and this is going to go fast, so listen close. Secondly this morning, God's desire is to save us from the destructive power of sin. That's what God wants in your life. He wants to help you overcome the destructive power of sin. How so? How so? He does so as he extends his hand of protection. Notice what happens as here's Lot on the doorstep. The door is shut. He's trying to negotiate with this community, this hostile community. to trying to take these friends away. But the men, verse 10, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. It's almost as if the hand of the Lord reached out and grabbed Lot boom, just brought him right back in. And then these men... Struck with blindness, the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they, they wore themselves out, groping for the door. So now they're all blinded out there. Beloved, as we face difficulties, we face opposition, he seeks to save us. He seeks to preserve us from the destructive power of sin as he extends his hand of protection. But secondly here, as he extends his grace toward our household, throughout the Bible, God is very interested, not just in you, but in your whole household. It says, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place as he extends his grace toward our households. Acts 16, 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is what Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer. As the doors were open and all the prisoners didn't leave, and he's like, oh man, it's over, I'm going to kill myself. And he finally capitulates after hearing them worship all night. He goes, man, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. God is interested in our households as he extends his grace toward us through our household. And so these men are going, hey, do you have anybody else here with you? Thirdly here, as he extends his warning about the dangers to come. You have anybody else? Here's the warning, verse 13, for we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. God will warn, and by the way, he has warned us about his coming judgment. Psalm 11.5, the psalmist writes this, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. The one who loves violence, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Isaiah 311, woe to the wicked. Listen close, don't miss this. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. You think, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get away with it in my rebellion. No, man, God! you're dealing with God Almighty on that one. Matthew 13, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you hearing that? Not a good place, not a good time. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. He's warned us, beloved. He's told us what's going to happen. God desires to save us from the destructive power of sin as he extends his hand of protection to pull us back in, as he extends his grace toward our household, as he extends his warning about the dangers to come. We're not without information on this. Lastly this morning, and don't miss it, how we respond to God is a matter of life and death. Five things here I want you to see. What's your response to all this? How we respond to God is a matter of life and death. Beloved, we need to respond by taking God seriously. Look what happens in verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. What happened here? Look, if you're gonna live a life of compromise, people around you are gonna know that you're a joke. You talk about following God and never actually follow God, and then when you say, hey, this is important, this matters, then people are like, well, you're silly. You're ridiculous. I'm out. I'm going to go do my own thing, my own way. Watch me. We need to respond by taking God seriously. Secondly, we need to respond by responding to God immediately. When you hear the warning, we should heed it now, not later. As morning dawned, verse 15, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. Ah, well, yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah, we're leaving, yeah. Later, manana. So the men seized him, these angels. These guys, they grabbed him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to him. Oh, by the way, just think about times God has saved you and pulled you out of stuff that you had no business messing with. By his sheer grace, by sheer mercy to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Beloved, we need to respond immediately to God's warnings. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 4, he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's not next week. It's not a month from now. It's not next year. It's not on your deathbed. Now is the time. Praise God that his compassion toward us is stronger than our rebellion and our stubbornness. But thirdly here, we need to respond by completely agreeing with God. And this is probably the hardest part for us because we don't wanna agree with God on things. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand the Lord being merciful to him and brought them out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley, escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords. No, what? Another discussion, Lot? Really? Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. That'll work, won't it? Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? My life will be saved. And the angel said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you've spoken. Oh man, how gracious God is to us, even in our doing our own thing here, when we're not completely agreeing with him. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. That's an interesting verse, by the way. The angel says, I will not bring anything upon these seas until you're there. We'll find out why they can't do anything till they're there in just a moment. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which really means little, little city. Here again, Lot tries to negotiate with God's messengers. Beloved, we need to avoid negotiating with God. We negotiate with God at our own risk. Have you ever tried to negotiate with him on something? How'd it go for you? You know, he is God. He's going to win. Instead, we need to agree with God about these things. First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word here for confess in the Greek here is hama Hamalegeo. Hama, legeo. hama, which is the same as legeo, the same word that is to have the same thing as another or the same words with someone else. That is to agree with them. If we confess our sins, that is if we agree with God about our rebellion no matter what the rebellion is, including homosexuality. Instead of holding a rebellious mindset, we need to hold to a hama mindset with God by completely agreeing with God about our own sin and our own manipulation. We need to agree with God about who we are and our rebellion. Let's quit trying to negotiate with God about reality and take him at his word. But fourthly here, we need to respond by living a life with no regrets. There's going to be more regrets here coming Lot's way and some poor choices are going to happen. In verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zohar. And the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the crown. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She had some regret. Oh, I just want to go, oh. By the way, to this day, there are these huge salt pillar formations in the Dead Sea Valley, and some speculate as to which one of those is Lot's wife. Pillar of salt. She regrets. You know, I gave my life to Christ years ago. I've never, never regretted it. I will always follow him no matter what. I was in the Business world as a state farm agent, I left that business, I repented from business and went into full-time ministry. I've never regretted it, never looked back. Boy, I wonder how things would be if I was still a state farm agent. No, no, run for your life. What are you looking back at? What's holding you up? What's keeping you from moving forward? Look to your future with God and God alone. Lastly here, beloved, we need to respond by resting in God's promises. Now we see the reason why these angels weren't going to move against Lot. Verse 27. Now Abraham, <coughs> now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Can you imagine this? In the valley, just smoke. You can't say your pastor ever you know, preaches fire and brimstone. There it is, I just did it. Smoke. He's looking down and seeing. You can imagine he's going, Oh man, I hope Lot got out of there. Thus, it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. God remembered Abraham. We've seen this throughout Genesis. God remembered Noah, God remembered Rachel. Remember, there was a thief on the cross next to Jesus, and he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Praise God for his remembrance. And these angels would not move against those cities until Lot was safe. Why? Because of Lot? No, because of Abraham and his faithfulness, because God remembered him. Now, with all this, as we wrap this up, and then we're going to have lunch in just a minute. It's going to be great. Years ago, for Christmas, when I was just a little guy, my parents got me for Christmas a Superman suit. It was awesome. The big S. I think I got, got the S. Can you throw it up there? Yeah, there it is. There it is. Superman suit. Had the big S, you know. Had a cape. It was awesome. Because I love Superman. I want to be Superman. Everything's going, this is going great being Superman in my house until one day my parents found me in my room up on the second floor trying to open the window because I was going to go for a fly. Remember that, mom and dad, remember that one? Yeah, you can ask them about it later. I am so thankful that my parents loved me enough to sit me down and say... Hand in your cape. You are not Superman. You're a little boy. Do you get my point here? We need to be talking to our kids, telling them what's real and what's true about who they are. You're a little boy. You're a little girl. That's how God made you. For his purposes, will, will you trust him in that? Beloved, there are so many around us who just don't realize what is at stake for them with regard to the moral decisions that they're making apart from God. How we respond to God is literally a matter of life and death. As God is in the process of saving us from the destructive power of sin through our faith in Christ, we need to do all that we can to help others know that he is, he alone is our rescue. As we close things up today, what sin do you need to turn away from today? Maybe it's not homosexuality, maybe it's something else. What sin do you need to put away? It's, I'm, I need to be done with this. I'm done with that. I used to be this, I don't do that anymore. I'm done. Turn away from your rebellion and turn to faith in Christ for your provision with whatever he has for you. Will you trust him in that? The second call today is who is it that's around you that's in harm's way? Who's in danger that you need to go after and lovingly come alongside them and point them in a different direction? Here, these men came to protect Lot. Lot said, well, I'll I'll try to protect you guys. No, they saved him, didn't they? How else will God use you in what ways will he use you to save others for his purposes? Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you are to us and all that you've done for us. And Lord, there's a lot here to deal with, especially as we're dealing with major cultural issues and cultural shifts. As we, people are redefining what reality is, Lord, we know what's real. We know what's true from your word and from what you've revealed in your world. Lord, help us to simply just trust you in that, to speak the truth in love, to come alongside those who are wrestling. Lord, help us to make sure we're not just angry at people, but we're angry at sin. Lord, help us to remember that it's your grace, your kindness toward us that led us to repentance in the first place. In the first place, it's your kindness that led us to you. And so, Lord, help us to be kind to those who wrestle, who don't see things the way we do. Lord, help us not to argue issues, but to put forward what's truth. Lord, we need help as a church to do that, to engage our culture and to love people in amazing ways. Lord, I too have a relative who wrestles with these things, as I know many in this congregation have relatives who are wrestling with these issues. And Lord, we love our, our relatives. We love our family. But Lord, help us to stand up for what's true and what's right, to not lose sight of what you've said about what's true and what's right. So Lord, help us first of all to put away those things we need to put away. There's some sin, some entanglement that uh, someone's wrestling with today. I pray even right now they'd say, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with that one. I got to move on. I got to grow here in Christ. And Lord, for those who have loved ones who are in harm's way, like Lot was here, Lord, give us the impetus to be able to come alongside them and love them and to show them a different way, a better way, your way not out of being egotistic, but bringing grace and mercy as you demonstrated your mercy, your grace towards Lot, and he couldn't see it. Lord, help us to get it. Help us to see it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this gathering this morning. Thank you for the food we're about to have in just a few moments. And Lord, we just ask that you give everyone a fantastic week. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said,